Amen. Good morning. Good to see you today. What a great day it is and a great week and pray that you've had a great week and uh, just uh, in serving our Lord and uh, for all that uh, you're involved in in and through these days and we continue to pray for our church for Main Street and uh, just pray during these days of transition and as you pray that you would also put at the very top of your list that there be someone that you know of that is without Jesus Christ. It may be a family member, it may be a son, daughter, it may be a brother, sister, someone you know of, a dear friend. You know that if they died today that they would be without Christ. And so that you will be praying for them, praying that God would speak to them, that they would open their heart, and that they would come to realize their own sin and for their salvation in Jesus Christ. And with that, we come to the second word that we find, the second saying of Jesus Christ from the cross. Last week, we looked at his word of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. But today, we look at his word of assurance, word of salvation today. And I invite you to take your Bible again, and if you would please turn to the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 23, and I want to begin in verse 38 and just read down through about verse 43 of this passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 23, verse 38, an inscription was above him, that is Christ. This inscription said, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God? Give reverence to God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was of set and deliberate purpose that the authorities crucified Jesus between two known criminals. Some feel that it was deliberately staged to humiliate Jesus in front of the crowd and to rank him with robbers and thieves. Sometimes criminals would be gagged so the soldiers would not hear them curse or say anything. But not on this occasion. For after a while, a conversation took place, not at the bottom of the crosses, but uh, among those on the crosses. And so the two criminals on either side of Jesus began to pick up what was being said from the ground. The soldiers were saying it. Those who passed by were saying it. Chief priests and religious leaders were saying it. Matthew and Mark said that both of these men, that they taunted, that they ridiculed 
Jesus at the very beginning. The first saying at the cross, from the cross, was a prayer of forgiveness for men and women and boys and girls. The second saying from the cross was an answer to prayer of another that was directed to Jesus. And the question has been, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, why were the men talking to Jesus not ever given a name? You know, we don't know their name, do we? We don't know their name. And there were several through the Gospels that we find that those who would come to Jesus were not given a name. And these two criminals, we don't know their name. Well, I think the answer to that question is, is that the men remain nameless in order that we might see in them our own sin, our very worst. Because all of us take our place beside one of those outer crosses. We either ridicule, reject, and turn on the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we humbly receive Him and trust in Him as the Son of God and we plead, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Now this outline is very simple. The first thing we find from this is this particular passage and from this episode is that we see the, the, the sinner's request. Now there were two appeals that were made from the crosses. Think about it. Both men were in the same set of circumstances. They had the same situation. Uh, They were condemned. They were caught. They were crucified men. And both of these men were near the Lord Jesus Christ. How near are you to the Lord Jesus? These men were just right next to the Lord Jesus and could hear him and could see him. Both of these men evidently heard Jesus speak. Both of these men needed forgiveness desperately. And so one of the men died in his sin and went to hell. While the other man died to sin and went to heaven. Now this is still a mystery to me. I've been in ministry for years now, and I still don't understand how uh, an individual, how two or three or four people can come to to a worship service, and they can be in the same service, and they can hear and they can sing the same songs, that they hear the, the, the same sermon that the appeal is made for them to give their heart and their life to Christ, and yet one is moved to salvation for salvation. And yet the other is moved and to do the exact opposite, unmoved, untouched, unblessed. Verse 39, the tense is, is the same of that imperfect tense we looked at last week. That this crucified criminal just kept on hurling insults at Jesus. And evidently he kept hurling these insults over and over and then saying, Aren't you the Christ? Hear him what he says. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself 
and then us. Uh, we've seen those over the past several years. Maybe you've read the stories about some of these uh, that who have escaped from prison, tried to make a break out of prison. I read about a guy, maybe you know about him, his name was Theodore Teddy Green. He once bragged of robbing 20 banks and making 40 prison jailbreak attempts. Now, Teddy Green died several years ago of leukemia. And Teddy Green was notorious for getting caught and then seeking to escape. It's said that in one escape, that as he scaled the wall that his ladder broke and dropped him back into prison. See, he wasn't very good at it. On another escape attempt, he, he hid himself in a sealed crate filled with rags, and he was captured five days later. Well, one thief's appeal next to Jesus was on the level of escape. That this thief was saying, let's break out of this situation. That if you really are the Christ, and if there's anything you can do to get us out of this, then do it right now because we're dead men. Now folks, it's a picture of what some folks do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Of what they do with God. They would just like to get out of the punishment that results from their sin. They'd like to get out of the punishment that results from their evil. Uh, they're not interested in being saved from their sins by repentance. They're not interested in having a transformed, a changed life. Allow God to work in it. No, they're not interested in that. Just get me out of this so I can go on. On the other hand... The other thief who had been making insults to Jesus also right at first. He made his request. Now think about it. This man had ridiculed Jesus. He had taunted Jesus. But he saw Jesus' actions, I believe. He evidently had heard Jesus' prayer of forgiveness. Jesus' prayer of forgiveness to the soldiers who had crucified him. Jesus' prayer of forgiveness to those who were coming by and saying those particular things to the Lord Jesus Christ. His prayer, continued prayer of forgiveness, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He saw Jesus suffer. He saw Jesus gasping for every breath that he could get. And I believe that he even saw the sign that was above the head of the Lord Jesus. That sign that said that this is the king of the Jews. There's some that also say that there was a board with writing that was hanging around the neck of the Lord Jesus. And that sign said that, that he called himself the son of God. Well, each of these things brought some conviction to the heart of this dying thief. And there's three or four words uh, that uh, took place in that moment before and even when this man made his request. Now, I want you to look at these. For one, there, there is a word of rebuke. Now, here's the other thief. 
listen, if you're the Christ, then get us out of this. Then this thief, this dying thief, he says, he rebuked the other thief. He rebuked the other criminal. Here just a few moments ago, he was taunting the Lord Jesus. He was with his buddy, but now (laughs) he's rebuking this other thief. And he says to him, don't you fear God? Don't you have any reverence for God? Evidently, he must have known something about God. Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? (laughs) We're punished justly. We're getting what we, our deeds deserve. This man, he has done nothing wrong. Now, they were guilty men dying a just death while Jesus Christ was dying as a sinless, innocent man. And so the Spirit of God, working in the heart of this man, working in the heart of this particular criminal, of this thief, he realized that he was a sinner, that he was the sinner. It's not Jesus that was the sinner. No, he recognized his own sin. And listen, we all must realize that that we have sin and that we can do nothing to save ourselves, that yes, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You recognize that you're a sinner. You recognize that you need to be saved because Jesus is drawing you. There was a word of rebuke. There was not only a word of rebuke, there's a word of reverence. He says to that other thief, he says, Don't you fear God? Don't you have any reverence for God? Well, the proverb says this, the Bible says over and over that the fear, that the reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. And so when you come to understand that God is the creator, that you are made in his image, that you are personally responsible, accountable to God, then you have taken that step on the road to salvation. Now over the cross, again, there was that sign. That sign that said that this is the king of the Jews. Now that small sign, it is said, became like a little Bible that preached to the thief that the one, a king who had a kingdom. So a word of rebuke, a word of reverence. There was a word of repentance. The man was more than sorry for his crime. He was more than sorry for his sin. He had a change of mind. He had a change of heart. He had changed his mind concerning his attitude towards sin. He had changed his mind concerning his attitude toward Almighty God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what repentance is. Repentance is that change of mind, that change of heart, that you're headed this way, you're headed towards sin and death and destruction, and you make that U-turn in your heart and your mind, and you're headed to the Savior, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So in his heart, he was turning from sin to Jesus Christ. Have you done that? You've recognized your sin? You know what you need to do? That there is that change of mind and heart in your life about sin, of what sin can do. You're headed toward destruction. 
but you're turning and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there was uh, his request. Now, his request was this. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now again, the tense of that verse just indicates that, that this man repeated it over and over. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. It, it, it wasn't a, just an arrow that was shot toward heaven. Just a prayer, just in case. No, it was a storm that bombarded the gates of hell. And you notice some things about this particular request. Now look at this. For one, it was a a simple request that the man said, Lord, remember me. Now, dear friend, you don't have to worry how to make the request. You you can put it in any word. Lord, Lord, save me. Lord God, I have sinned. Lord, I'm desperate for you. Lord, I can't save myself. Oh God, I ask that Jesus come into my heart. Jesus, remember me. Now, it was a very simple request. Now, remember that the Bible says this. Jesus said that those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. The promise is, is that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So, It was a simple request. You don't have to get hung up with the words. It was not only a simple request, it was a singular request. He said, Lord, remember me. He didn't say, Lord, remember that other guy, because he's going to need it. Lord, remember those who've been saying, Lord, no, Lord, Jesus, remember me. You see, it is a personal experience. It is a personal request, a singular request between you and Almighty God. You can't make it for your children. You can pray that they be saved, yes. You can't make it for your friend. No, you pray that they, yes, that they will. But they have to make that. You have to do this. It is a singular request, you and you alone. Simple, singular. And then finally, I find that it was a sincere request. Here was a man on death row in our prison in the death chamber in chains. Right before someone dies, they cry out, dead man walking. Well, here's a dead man. Punishment had begun. His life's blood was pouring on the ground. He didn't have time to play the hypocrite. He was facing eternity. Uh, This says something to me about salvation because what it does is it refutes the false ideas of the way some folks say that, that, that you can get to heaven. Now listen to this. There's some out there who say, well, we're saved by religious ceremony, by the things that we have to do. Well, this experience refutes the idea that, uh, That baptism saves, doesn't it? Uh, Baptism, yes, is good. Baptism expresses our first first step of obedience after we've received Christ. 
Baptism does not confer salvation. It confirms salvation. The New Testament baptism is that, is that outward expression of that inward experience that has taken place in your heart and life. So if you've been saved and you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. But listen here. Some will say, well, we're saved by religious ceremony. Well, this thief could not be baptized. Baptism is in response to your personal obedience to Jesus Christ. Some will say, well, you must go to purgatory and burn for a while, burn for a time, and then you can enter into heaven. But Jesus told this man that he would be in heaven, in paradise, that same day. Now listen, as a Christian, I am not afraid to die. But I want you to know, if I believed that I had to go out and burn for a while, I wouldn't welcome death. Some will say, well, uh, everybody's going to be saved. That's universalism. But Jesus did not tell both of these men that they would go to heaven, only one. Uh, some will say, well, when you die, that the soul sleeps until judgment. But Jesus told this man that he would not be forced away, but that he would be in heaven, he would be in paradise with Jesus that very day. So today, when a Christian dies, that his or her physical body disintegrates in the grave, but their real self, the soul, the spirit, goes to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there are those who will say that we are saved by our good character. Well, this man didn't have any character, did he? Uh, others will say, well, in order to get to heaven, you must live a good moral life. But living a good moral life is evidence of your salvation. It is not a means to your salvation. And this passage refutes the false ideas people have about what it takes for a person to get saved. It is a simple request to God to be saved. And so for this dying thief, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. If you this morning recognize your condition, a sinner, in need of the Savior, have you made your request just like this man? Now that's the, the, the sinner's request. The second part of this is the Savior's response. We find it there in verse 43. While dying, Jesus was still loving, caring, praying, forgiving. And there's three important words to see about Jesus' response. Now, when Jesus heard this man for what he requested, there was a word of affirmation. Verily, truly, I tell you the truth. What Jesus did was Jesus said, Amen to this man's request. <laughs> amen to your request. Brother, amen to your salvation. He was saying amen to the agony of the cross. Amen to the plan of God for his life. Amen to the possibility 
of the salvation of every soul that would ever be born, that would come to God through Jesus Christ. And dear friend, this is his word for you today. Amen. Amen that you're coming. Amen that you're giving your heart and your life and your surrender, that you're surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus to be the Savior of your life, the Lord, the Master, the boss of your life. It's not only a word of affirmation. It is also a word of salvation. Now look at this. Amen. Today. Today. Uh, Today is God's word. Tomorrow is Satan's word. Today is God's word. You listen and you hear the message today. God is working in your heart and your life. The Spirit of God says to you this day right now, today. Satan comes along. But oh, Satan does come to church sometimes, doesn't he? Satan whispers in your ear and says, Tomorrow. Put it off. You can wait. The Bible teaches an instantaneous salvation. That the moment that you turn from your sin and you put your faith and your trust in Jesus and you call on his name... That is salvation. That is instant. You pass from death unto life. From darkness into light. But I want you to notice something here. You notice that Jesus said that today you will be with me, which is the assurance. That it comes before in paradise. You know, some folks are just wanting to get to heaven. But Jesus says today, with me, the assurance, you will be with me in paradise. Now that says something to me. Salvation is a person. Salvation is about the Lord Jesus Christ before it ever becomes a place. Salvation is a personal experience with the Lord. So a word of affirmation, a word of salvation Then there is that word of consummation. There is the promise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is an interesting word. Paradise was a Persian word meaning a walled garden. And the word paradise is used three times in the New Testament. It's used here in this passage in Luke 23. It's used again in Paul's experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he was caught up with a vision into paradise. It's also used in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. Now before the resurrection of Jesus, the boat of the dead was referred to in the Old Testament as Sheol and the New Testament as, as Hades. Now there seem to have been two places two compartments to this abode of the dead. And so the wicked dead went into the compartment, went into the place called Gehenna. The righteous went into that compartment that we call paradise. And so when Jesus, when he died on the cross and was buried in the heart of this earth, there is that change that occurred. 
There's many that believe that Jesus went down into paradise. He announced freedom to the Old Testament saints, those who had died before the cross, those who had died before the resurrection. He emptied paradise and carried them into the very presence of God and to the throne room, throne of God with him. So today, we know that when a Christian dies, that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that that person goes directly, goes to be with Jesus Christ. Far more than the streets of gold, as marvelous as that may be, and and more wonderful than the gates of pearl. Listen, heaven to me is where Jesus is. Where Jesus Christ is present. And so the dying, repentant thief heard Jesus' promise. Amen. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now for several minutes, maybe a few hours, the thief heard Jesus' other words from the cross and words that we'll look at here in several weeks, for several weeks. He possibly saw Jesus die as Jesus gave up his spirit. May have even heard his last words, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The Roman soldiers would uh, come with mallets, with heavy mallets, and would crush the legs of the dying thief to hasten his death. Now this man, broken, Bruised, crushed, and dead. That's what sin, that's what Satan, that's what self did to him. And that's what it will do to you if you don't give your life to Christ. It could have been all over for him in his life. But we believe that somewhere that very day, in the paradise of God, that there walked a redeemed, a saved sinner, walking arm in arm with the Savior who had said and who had promised to him and given him the word of assurance, today you will be with me in paradise. Please listen to me. It's never too late to turn to Christ. So long as your heart is beating, so long as there is breath, the invitation to Jesus Christ still stands. Maybe there's an old saying that you heard of, it, a saying I want to share with you. The saying says, one thief on the cross was saved that none might despair, but only one that none might presume. And I don't know where you are today, but is there someone here today that you have just said for too long, I'll wait. You've listened to the voice of Satan. I'll wait. You've listened to him for tomorrow. Well, listen to the voice of God today who says to you this morning, today. The Bible says that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Maybe it is this morning that you're uncertain of your eternal destiny of your soul. Well, would you ask yourself the question, am I saved? Does the Holy Spirit 
bear witness with my spirit, with your spirit. The Bible also says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So what's God's spirit? What's God leading you to do this morning? I'll tell you what He's not leading you to do. He's not leading you to walk out these doors this morning to neglect, to reject, to say no to Him this morning. That if you've never given your life to Christ, that today is that day of salvation. If you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've done it privately, but listen, you've never done anything about it. Listen, today, let that be the day. That in just a few moments that after I pray and that Alan begins to lead us in our time of singing, that I invite you to just come stand with me here at the front. Just stand with me here on this front pew and you're saying this morning, I'm going to go God's way. I say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to listen to God's voice today and, and listen. And I need to trust in Him to be my Savior and my Lord. If you're not active in a local church, you're not a member of a local church, then let this be the day that you lead others to come to Christ this morning by your coming to place your life in the fellowship of this church. Some of you served in the armed services. You served in armed service. And you know that when you're in the branch of the armed service that you're not just a part of a worldwide endeavor. That you know that you are assigned to a local base where you are accountable and you're given assignments for service. Well, I tell you that the same holds true for the army of God. That He calls and assigns you to local bases, to a local church, and perhaps He's leading you here this morning to Main Street to be a part of this church. If you've given your life to Christ and you've never been baptized, then let this be the day that you'll come and say, I need to be baptized, I need to be obedient to follow in my discipleship for the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever the decision may be this morning, you come today and just come and stand with me here on this front pew. Come to Brother Brett. Come to one of us this morning and just let us know of your decision today. Don't presume upon the possibility that one day you will repent just before you enter into eternity. I shared with the first service this story. Personal experience, and it involves my family. One of my heroes in the faith is a pastor in Central Texas, and his name is Bob Ray. I love Bob Ray. Bob Ray has been pastoring his church in Central Texas. It's a little church near Heiko, between Heiko and Hamilton, and he's been serving that church now for 58 years as pastor of that church. Now think about that, okay? Serving one church, 58 years. His wife just recently died, Rosalind. She died of pancreatic cancer, and we buried her. But he continues to pastor his church. Now, Bob Ray told me, because I was telling him that I had some near distant kin that lived near his particular church. And he said, oh, he said, I know that, I know that family. It's the Piercy family. My grandmother on my dad's side was a Piercy. She had an uncle by the name of Hollis Piercy. And there were several Piercy brothers, and my great-granddaddy was a, was a Piercy. Well, Hollis Piercy was a rancher. He had Angus bulls. And Hollis Piercy was not saved. He was not a saved man. Hollis Piercy lived a hard life. 
away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And Bob Ray, this wonderful pastor, witnessed to Hollis on several occasions that he would give his heart and his life to Christ. Here's what Hollis Piercy told Pastor Bob Ray. He told him, he said, you know what, Pastor? He said, when I get ready to die, he said, I'll give my life to Christ. Now, little did Hollis Piercy know that one day, that that dreadful disease known as Alzheimer's would come upon his life. Where he couldn't understand, he couldn't speak, he couldn't function. And sad to say that as he presumed that he would be living just before he entered into eternity to receive Christ, he died in a Christless grave. And he died without the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't presume upon the possibility that one day you will repent just before you slip into eternity. I don't know where you are this morning. You may have waited a long time. You may have put it off to trust in Jesus many a time. You might even feel that today that you have sinned away your day of grace. Well, listen, come back to the dying thief. Look to the dying thief because he reminds us that now is not too late. That God's supply of his grace and his love is inexhaustible. Join the one who is with Jesus today and not wait. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Alan's going to come and lead us in that song. I invite you to come. Stand with me here on the front pew. Take me by the hand. You need to give your life to Christ. Maybe you're with someone this morning, a friend, a loved one. And would you say to them this morning, you know they're without Christ. And you'd say, I'm praying for you today. I am praying for you today. Come to Christ. Do it today. God bless you as you come. Father, we thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for your continued love, your grace to us. As your love, your grace, your mercy. Your faithfulness, your forgiveness abounds in every way. Lord, that it would be today that for those who are without Christ, that they hear your voice, that they trust in you, that they would not go away today without Christ. And for those this morning, O oh God, that they would say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's others here who may need to be baptized because they've trusted in you, but they've never done so. Others who need to come place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, even as a Christian, it bears upon our heart for someone that we're praying for that is lost, that is without Christ. Help us, O God, in these days and these moments, Lord, together, that as we look to the cross, that as we look to you, that, yes, that there is power in the cross. Christ draws all who will look to him. So we ask for your power, Lord, for your Spirit at work just now in the lives of those who would come to the Lord Jesus, for those who would make that decision for you today. It is in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.